should be good. Okay, so this is Eating Cake, and you are listening to us right after the spring equinox. And um, this is, I don't know, somewhere episode 18, 19, somewhere in there. I and think 19. Yeah, we, it is March 21st, and we are coming to you through the magic of Skype. So, welcome everybody, and how are you doing, Ruth? I'm wonderful. Thanks, Nicole. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm super glad. I mean, I definitely, winter is my favorite. Um, really? Season. Well, autumn and winter, yes. Wow. It's actually autumn, winter, spring, and then summer. Um, although I'm a summer baby, so I, um, it's nice to see the spring arising, but at the same time, I'm really sad winter is gone, so... Wow. That's what's going <laughs> That's so opposite of me because I think spring is my favorite and mm. then summer and then autumn, then winter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I've but I've been I we did a bunch of things. We had a nice um autumn equinox ritual Friday. Um, right. because technically autumn equinox started on the Pacific coast around two thirteen in the morning. So we did a little ceremony Friday night, and then also we planted some seeds outside and then did some pruning and then planted some, like, did pruning and planting on Saturday. So that was a lot of fun. I love being outdoors. So, yeah, so it was great. That's so nice. Yeah. I was going to ask you how you spent your um, spring souls or equinox so me i got the cleaning bug and uh, like i spent over eight hours probably close to 10 hours uh taking my living room apart cleaning it putting it back together better than it was it's just beautiful now nice yeah and this is the time it's the season to be cleaning and clearing it is yeah it is and i want to as you know, I'm a, a member of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids in yeah. out of England, and um, I'm like halfway done with my Druid grade, the last grade, and I think I'm going to spend the rest of the evening going over some, doing some work on that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. I mean, yeah. I think this is a good thing to think talk about, too. So, like... You're native, and you're also uh, working with um, Obad material out of England. So how are you, like, some people might think that would be, like, opposing spiritualities, but I personally, clearly, you don't. So I wanted to find out, like, what's your take? That that? is a great question, and thank you for asking, because I actually have thought about that quite a bit. I'm a Lutic. My original ancestors were from the Aleutian Islands, and then they moved out to the Kenai Peninsula. So if I was to follow my native tradition, I would move up to the Aleutian Islands, find someone who could be a spiritual teacher, maybe a shaman, maybe an elder who could teach me lifestyle and points of view and some stories and how to interact with nature and Maybe I would find them. Uh, I might have to move out to some remote village where there were a couple hundred people and give up all my 
child and all my life here in Seattle. And the perspective that they teach is actually, I have found, and I've read a bit that the perspectives of, the world perspectives of the indigenous Aleut and the world perspectives that are taught in the Druid order that I'm part of are so similar as to be the same. The the dissimilarity or the the difference comes in how the perspectives of oneness with the universe, the perspectives that all the universe is animate, the perspectives that we approach the universe not as commanding it, but as a friend, that we approach other people with respect and without the violence inherent in capitalist society, Western society, all of that, that we seek harmony is the same Mm -hmm. relatively. The difference is the local practices. Um, So the way I figure it, I could get the same education I'm getting with Oban, which is the nickname we give to the order. If I was to leave everything in my life, become completely jobless and poverty stricken and have to uh, live on nothing, find someone who could teach me, live there for 10 or 20 years, and then if I am still alive, come back to civilization once in a while. So that same thing that I would do, I can do with with a distance learning course. <laughs> Wait, so are you saying, so let me get this straight. Are you saying um, that your native traditions, I mean, like to be truly kind of like embedded in your native traditions, you would need to relocate and kind of like rearrange your life in a particular way. Mm-hmm. That means like perhaps giving up quite a bit of who you are now, like the part, mm-hmm. the parts of you now, um, which isn't feasible, it sounds right. like. And also that there are a lot of things that are specific to how Obad, the order of Barzovates and Druids, kind of shape their kind of like the reclaiming of a European kind of indigenous spirituality. So there are threads for you that you find that are common between the two. Exactly. And um, I'm pulling back from politics just a little, not entirely, um, but I have decided to try to learn more about my Aleut and my native culture. So I'm trying. It's hard because I'm, work 40 hours a week still and that makes me tired but there's an Aleut language class that's been on Facebook uh, with just a few words but I was gonna do that but I was too tired but the fact that there there's an Aleut association here in in Seattle and I used to go to events when my dad was alive so I'm gonna try to start going to those once they start having them and um, just everything I will try to incorporate that when I can. And there's also a book I want to write. Um, there's a book I I got on Alaska Native culture, and there's a one-page article on um, what they call 
it's more than a shaman, someone who is completely respected in society and an elder, more than an elder, more than a shaman. And I can't remember, knowledge keeper maybe? And it's specific to the Aleut culture. And I thought that one page would make a brilliant children's book. So I'm going to try to write that. Um, I'm going to get the permission of that one author to use their ideas and maybe some of their words. And I'm going to try to illustrate it myself and um, see where that goes. Because um, that is part of the culture, creating and doing art. So, and I've studied the art. I studied Northwest Coast Formline Design for several years. So, you know, I have that art. So I want to... I want to do something specific to Aleut. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting because I, you know, so, so many of us, like, have lost, like, you know, we're, we've been, like, uprooted, (laughs) replanted, you know, forced to migrate, you know, and it's really hard to, like, you know, keep those, like, you know, traditions, those ancestral traditions going when part of, like, what re- what co- capitalism and colonialism requires of us is that we're just constantly uprooted from the place where we live or we feel disconnected because we don't have, like, our family around or we're not close to our neighbors, suburbia, and urban life actually, you know, thrives off of, like, people not being really connected, like, social anomie and things like that. So, you know, it's it's really cool to just kind of see, and this is true for myself also, just, like, us trying to reclaim traditions and cultivate a much more connected life in a time of, like, real, like, disconnection. You know, um, your question about Obad versus uh, the Aleut, I've actually thought about this in a sort of applying it to the scholarly fields of study, because it. Um, for those who are listening, I, I have a Master of Arts in Humanities, but before I got my master's degree, I thought, how am I ever going to write a master's thesis because everything's already taken? Every all the knowledge is already there. But afterwards, you realize that the opposite is true, that um, once you start learning in specific fields, you realize that the not enough people are uh, filling in the gaps of knowledge. And so I look at what Obad has done, the order, the Druid order in England, what they've done is they've created an entire organization based on a very broad stroke of believing in, well, most of the members, I would say, are probably animists, and most of the members uh, respect the indigenous old way of looking at space and do probably think there's consciousness at some level in the trees, in the grass, in the wind, in the water. So there's so much room for people to look at that in a scholarly way. There's more than enough room. Uh, and and it's not that people are standing close to each other sort of trying to and getting in people's way. There's, there's not enough room. So if 
if they cover area that maybe the Aleut tribe used to cover, but now there's really not that many, that I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. I um, you know, I, I mean, and I, and you know, that's important to think about. Like, we're not one thing whole or the other. We're actually a lot of us are mixed. So it's really important to kind of honor like both familial lines so you know even in spite of the fact that one of them might be a conqueror you know the other a victim but you know those are the things that are running through our family histories we we can't do anything about the behavior of people in the past but we what we can do is learn how to make peace with our lineages and change this world for the better um yeah what were you gonna say something i agree i think um like i'm mixed as well i'm um i'm part jewish and i'm also part german so i mean i've got the conqueror and the conquered and then the Aleut and a bunch of european mixed hodgepodge stuff so you know the one thing about making peace, though, one thing that I've wanted to do for myself is to come up with sort of a unifying perspective on how I see the universe. Because, like, the German might see, the German in me might have seen it one way, but the way that consciously and hopefully my subconscious follows is that I'm seeing the universe more as an alive thing more as something that I have to be in harmony with rather than conquer. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, something being in harmony with as opposed to conquering. And that's, I feel like it's been really interesting to just kind of show like the conquering mentality is so pervasive and it's so dangerous. In fact, um, I don't know if you heard about this. This was super interesting. Have you heard about this guy named Stephen Donziger? Apparently, this is kind of related to politics, but it's, you know, environmental politics as well. Apparently, he was um, an attorney for, you know, indigenous people in the Ecuador's Amazon area against Chevron, and they won, you know, and so Chevron retaliated, basically retaliated against him, and he's been, like, I guess put on house arrest or something, at least for the last year or something along those lines. So, so that's been really interesting, but he, I don't, I forget why I even brought this up. I think I brought it up because of something you said, but. Yeah, I was talking about conquering versus uh, harmony. The harmony. What were you saying about harmony again? Conquering something versus trying to find a harmony. Yeah. And influencing that way. Yeah, thank you, because I, I mean, that really bothered me, like, like this kind of, the, the kind of intensity that Chevron went after somebody who supported the indigenous people in the Amazon, 
about protecting their lands. And we we need as many people as possible who have this awareness around like, you know, protecting the land, living a much more harmonious life because the way the world is operating right now, it's basically, you know, they're for the will of the people or less, at least that's what the, these people think. Like the, the conquerors think that, you know, we're just have this, infinite amount of resources to extract from the planet um and meanwhile so many of us really we need to be cultivating and learning how to live a more harmonious life but I agree. yeah I, it, it just yeah your your statement made me think of that and I kind of went on a stream of consciousness but no that's that great really, yeah that really disturbed me when I read that the earlier today you know, I I agree that we have to try to live a more harmonious life and at the same time to get an understanding of how the capitalist structure works because I was I was thinking about it like um how the what do you call it advanced nations view the the uh, up and coming nations is what they say is <laughs> they say oh well, you're you're a newer entity, and so um, you're a developing nation. They call them developing nations, but what they really think is, uh, oh, here's a nation we can plunder for yeah. its oil and its minerals and its people, its people power, and we can plunder it. And then when it becomes a developed nation, we'll give it a seat on the table and and maybe not plunder it so much because we'll we'll have actually already plundered it quite a bit. Right. And the thing is, it's like that's inherent in how the system works. And I think realizing that and at the same time trying to do something individually, because traditional Marxist thought is that you can't do anything individually because you have to wait for society to change. And then there's all this shaming. It's like, oh, you aren't a vegan. Oh, you drive a car still. Oh, you're shopping at Amazon. And it's like, I do something. I don't drive a car. And um, I live small. But, like, I can't shame anyone. Because, like, yeah, I, I shop at Amazon. I sell my books on Amazon. And they're... The, everything's sort of a mix and like Michael Corleone said in The Godfather <laughs> <laughs> let's get this straight we're a part of the same system I mean we have to survive in this system and and um, it's it's the system's fault but and we have to live in it but we can try to do things like like you're doing planting seeds gardening there's a whole host of things and you can't shame other people for not doing things. I mean, I think shaming people for killing people and for hurting people and robbing innocent people, that's valid, but not for not shopping at, for shopping at Amazon. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, this is the kind of weird thing that's really fraught, right? Amazon totally sucks. 
you know, on some level. And also yeah. at some level, it's provided people, you know, with, you know, the, you know, access to things that they wouldn't be able to have access before. I mean, like, I personally can't stand Amazon. And I really, like, think Jeff Bezos is gross. It's super hard. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you know, during COVID, absolutely, I used Amazon to send things to my mom because it was convenient. I knew it could get there. You know, I could get these things. But it's so hard to live in a system that actually is just fundamentally unethical all the fucking time. All the time. That's the struggle. I mean, you know, I don't have a car. And I grew up in a city, New York City, where you didn't have to have a car, you know, but you did take the bus, you did, you know, take the train, you know, I did hitch rides from other people. So it's not like my, my footprint was fantastic, you know, and zero, but it's just, it's just a weird place to be because no matter what we're doing, you know, our the ethics around usage and consumption is just fundamentally unethical because it's just so, you know, it's, uh, you know, the whole system is about the destruction of various peoples and the enslavement of people. So, and this is what we've inherited, but we need to make peace with that's not, those weren't our choices. Mm -mm. You know, we were definitely born into a system that was, I mean, I guess in Christianity, you call it, they call it sin. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's what they call it, original sin, which I actually argue against the idea of original sin in my novel, Sin. I have the, the main character get in an argument with her roommate while they're eating breakfast about it. I know. Well, this is cool. I'm looking forward to reading it on my break. It is so... I mean, like, I don't even subscribe to Christianity, but, like, you know, there is a point, you know, this this particular system is fairly disgusting. Maybe the right word for it is sin. I mean, it's disgraceful. I would like to apply sin to the system, not to individuals, because, like, we're blank slates, you know, and then the system is what's bad, because, you know, I used to talk about this a lot with my late friend and mentor, um, Glenn, who was Simpson, and talk mm-hmm. about um, the system, the old Native American system, and it was much better because the system was based on harmony, wasn't based on like one person become a billionaire and then half the rest of the world live in poverty, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Maybe like if you want to say corruption. But corruption doesn't even capture it because it's like it is corrupt. Absolutely. The system is corrupt. But like it is. I mean, it's like sinful. It is actually like there's just something so deliberate, intentional, all kinds of unintended consequences for people. We live in a a state of constant like imperfection in the sense and we Mm -hmm. can't be perfect granted but we live in a state where we're constantly it feels like what is it when something has a half-life or something I don't know like we're always grading because of the system 
that isn't is designed to keep us in this de- degrading form if that makes sense it does you know and and so the question that i think is a good question is like that all these billionaires and all these people who have hundreds of millions what they need to ask themselves is at what point is it enough mm-hmm. you know and and they've been told not to ask themselves this question by the powers that be that uh, capitalism is right and good and God's will on earth. But like, at, I think that's the the question of the of the century. What when is enough? When are when has a person had enough lovers? When yeah. do they feel and they've had enough food? When do they have enough money? I mean. You've seen the meme about Smog the Dragon and the Mountain of Gold comparing oh, yeah, it to yeah. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, that, no, I haven't seen that, but yes, that makes sense. And I saw someone on Facebook yesterday ask the question, when is this hoarding of billions of dollars going to start becoming, um, Is when is it going to be put in the DSM-5 or 6 right. yeah. as a I, mental I, disorder? Because, but it's not because because capitalism thrives off of hoarding. You know, it thrives off of it thrives off of people like consuming all kinds. I mean, like we have all kinds of imbalances. Like, you know, hoarding too much money, hoarding too much food, hoarding cats, hoarding houses, extra houses. I, you know. Hoarding, I mean, like, I don't know. It feels like hoarding is, like, an is a byproduct of capitalism. I think and, so. And that, you know, some kinds of hoarding are, is, are glorified and some are not. You know, some will put you in the, in the realm of, oh, he's an amazing capitalist and businessman. Yeah. The other one's like, oh, they're crazy cat Lock lady. Them up. Yeah. So, so <laughs> those much more masculinized forms of hoarding wealth, you know, are glorified, and you know, they're all distortions of capitalism in my mind. I mean, it's just kind I of think so. Yeah. So yeah, so like, um, I had to think about this because, like, I wrote the background for my novel before I wrote the novel yeah uh and the thing is I had to think about this question like because I wanted to solve the problem for the future like in this future world they'd solve the problem they decided how much was enough and that so everyone gets their own room and in comfortable apartment in this nice tall apartment building and and they have amenities and that, but they don't have to work as hard, and and um, but there's no one above them, you know. Yeah. So everyone has this great life, and they could travel. People could go on a trip a year that's paid. They have a travel allowance, and oh, and one thing that I didn't get to put in the book because it was a last minute thing, but when you travel, there's clothes. Every city has its own sort of uniform mm-hmm. that they give, like, that they leave. Like, for Seattle, it'd be, like, black yoga pants yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Birkenstocks and um, 
like a white shirt, you know, <laughs> that's like the uniform. And Seattle would have that at all the places that people come to travel in New York would have their uniform, you know, in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, this is an interesting conversation. I mean, I feel like, like I know that I'm not, of course, I'm not going to be able to change anything on a, on that kind of master, like, you know, large scale and I also oh, feel I don't know see I disagree I think I don't know I, mean, I like, think I, you can by doing this and I, I actually think by imagining it and talking about it you're I, doing something that I agree with although I feel like I guess what I was going to say around this <laughs> like I do think some change is possible <laughs> I feel like change mandated from the top down by the oligarchs is due oh. to fail Yes. Um, just simply because I just feel like anyone trying to tell people what to do is a bad, like, if you're trying, if the government's trying to tell you what to do, it's probably a bad thing because they don't really have your best interests in mind. They have the interests of controlling in mind. And yes. if any, if any change is going to happen, you know, we, I personally think about it as uh, who's, who can I influence and who can I help um, kind of change their consciousness? And maybe that will actually feed out into a branch out and feed out into other things. But I personally like politics and all that. I just, I just don't do it. I don't think, I just, I think it like, I think politics leads to, some really unhealthy cognitive distortions <laughs> that I, I don't personally want for myself. So uh, I'll, I'll just go for it. But me, myself, no, no, thank you. I think to, like oh, pink. What? Pink. I feel, like, I feel yeah. like, like pink is the way to go. So why don't you go? I think so. Why don't you talk about pink? Because I know you wanted to talk about that, too. And we're kind of like. Oh, getting, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want so to hear three about things, you. three responses yeah. to your first. Um, I think that one of the big untruths that the oligarchy has put into our mindset, everyone accepts that's absolutely not true, is that to influence things, you need to influence a wide bunch of people and be famous. And I absolutely don't think that's true. I think you just need to get it in your mind that you're going to put it out there and keep putting it out there and it will have some more effect than they want you to think. And the second thing is, um, it's an example of what I did in college. <laughs> we published a newsletter twice called the underground anarchist and it was satire, like in the form of Saturday night live about, uh, what was going on and stuff. And we were trying to figure out how to get, people to read it so what we ultimately decided to do was turn it out on the copy machine and um so we didn't have any method for distribution the first one what we did is we left it out in about 10 places on campus we left it out in the library just on the table and in the places like that the lounge you know oh my god within a day Every single person on campus was talking about it. 
the teacher was talking about it and brought a copy. People were making copies of it because we'd only put out <laughs> 10 copies. It was insane. That sounds awesome. In the second issue, um, they decided to put in the mailroom and we got caught. And uh, <laughs> it was bad. I mean, someone got fired and I got what? fired from my Sunday school role and kicked out of the church. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was that intense. That was radical. the underground anarchist. So, but. I'm just saying that I agree with you. The top-down method never works, not um, for anything that's differing from the oligarch's message. And the the um, renegade uh, method is the only one that's going to work. And then the third thing about pink is, yeah, I really do think that it has a shot at doing something. Mm -hmm. I'm pulling back. I was trying to do one uh, e-zine and one... Um, showcase a month that's like too much so I'm going to do a showcase in a week and then in another month I'm going to do the e-zine and then a month after that so like I'm going to alternate otherwise there's just no way I can do anything else with my life (laughs) (laughs) so anyone out there if you want to be if you are a poet or a writer or any artist or anything and you want to have a say, you got 10 minutes, um, find me on Facebook and um, I will hook you up. Yeah, I'll definitely add something to the e-zine again. That, that, that's a Thank lot you. Of, yeah. I love, love the e-zine. It was and, great. Yeah, and we, we need more of those things out there. And yep. I feel like... You know, this relates to something I wanted to mention earlier. I know some people, you know, that I work with and you know, they always talk about, oh, I really want a simpler life. I hope I don't I, I don't want to work until I'm dead and all of these things. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to work until I drop either. You know, like this is this is a huge, it's a huge issue. Right. I'm sorry. It's a huge issue. We don't want to work until we drop. But, you know, the other thing is, is like what but your like your life is tying you down in different ways. So, like, if you decide you want like a big house with land, you know, then that comes you you buy those things like at a price, you know, and I I feel like we you know, this is part of like the scam of the American dream. You you buy your house, you get like you got your couple cars, your kids, whatever. And that comes at a price, you know, that comes with like not really perhaps not knowing your neighbors, you know, if you live in one of these suburbs where people don't go outside, they don't like they don't want to know their neighbors like part like I've personally I'm really glad I'm from the background and cultures that I grew up in because we we actively worked on trying to know our neighbors you know they were loud and all that but you actually know who's there to take care like if something if there's an emergency or something along those lines not so much here you know particularly on the west there's like car culture and suburban culture here where you just you just disconnected from people so 
you know, I feel like all I'm that to say is that what I am more interested in, in people have been developing these things for a while, is learning how to live in community with people and maybe giving up some of the things you thought were a good idea, like a big house may not necessarily be a good idea. Living in community is probably a better idea. Mm-hmm. Um So I was just thinking about, I don't know if you're familiar with the model of the transition town, transition towns. Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with transition towns? Yeah. 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 They're really cool. And they're, they're basically about these intentional communities, kind of like literally small towns where you have your neighbors, where um, it's kind of like prepare. It's, you know, it's related to preparing for collapse preparing for the collapse of society. So it's like these grassroots projects, community projects, that's really about learning, cultivating resilience, cultivating self-sufficiency, not really um, dependent on the state to kind of order your life. And this actually um, came out of, uh, I believe it came out of England. So learning how to to withstand the storms of economic, social and economic instability by actually being in small community with other people. So that's where, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I kind of think I'm thinking about like, if people, all the people I know that are like, oh, I'm so sick of the daily grind, but you're stuck in the daily grind. So how about working with other people to create a situation or be in community with other people where you don't have to be stuck in the daily grind all the time. Mm-hmm. But that means we have to change the way we think about living. Yes, but, yes. You know, I don't know how many people are really committed to, to that um, part. Well, is it's, that, that it's hard. Yeah. Because uh, they can't even fathom something like that. I mean, with our with the American education and training we get, it's just so outside of the norm that, you know, I think changing changing people's minds is what we have to do. We have to work on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just feel like, you know, one of the things to think about is really, you know, I've always said, you know, the state is not your friend. It's not really there to help you. It's there to reinforce the rule of law in their benefit, you know, mm-hmm. so what, how, how to be in community with other people, which is moving towards something like a transition town or the transition initiative. And so you can, we can do this, but we have to learn how to live with other people um, and learn how to compromise. I think, I think that's right because um, the American dream is to have one big house all to yourself, shut off from people unless you want to go out amongst people, mm-hmm. where you don't have to, you get your own way and you rule the roost, as it were, you're the king and the queen of a tiny little manor. And I'm not so sure that's a great national dream to have. I think, right. um, like, um, better to have a national dream where everyone has really nice cozy housing yeah why not that why not that 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, why not have some cozy housing? doesn't have to be huge, but it doesn't have, but it, but it wouldn't, but not having people out on the street is really important. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, right now, I think I just read a tweet from Bernie yesterday where he said two billionaires, Bezos and uh, the Tesla guy. uh, Oh, Elon Musk, yeah. Those two have as much as 40% of the rest of the people. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. I I mean. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) It's like, and the fact that everyone's going along with it, except for the people now woke by Bernie and all the other people who think it's disgusting. But the majority of mainstream people are too busy trying to work to get their life, you know? Oh, and that's one thing I was going to say, this eating cake. So I think you, like, I really want to keep working and writing books and stuff to try to make people at least see a different perspective. But the thing is, like, I have to take care of myself. And, like, I did a foot soak yesterday, and I did one the day before, and, like, I'm on a diet, and I'm planning a trip to Paris in 2022. You know, I think we have to have a balance. We have to, like, help ourselves enjoy life as much as possible while also helping others and decide for ourselves at what point how much is enough for us, you know, because, like, I can't answer that question for you, but I can answer it for me. And I've decided that I think one room, bedroom per adult, maybe teenagers, is, is enough, like one main... You know, maybe having somewhere to go on vacation, but like all these people who have big, huge mansions and live these elitist lives like Charles Rand and being there, you know, which I just watched a couple days ago. (laughs) It's like, I don't think so. I don't think so. How can they how can they even look at themselves in the mirror? I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah, I but they do. And I mean, I feel like there's. There's a piece here, like, maybe, you know, I think this goes back to we fragmented society in a way that we fragmented ourselves. So what we do do with society, we do with ourselves. What we do with ourselves, we do with society. And, you know, people like Elon Musk and Bezos and all these big names, you know, their problems, they don't own those problems that they reproduce in society. They externalize those problems. Yeah. And behave, you know, an American, like we do it too, like, oh, recycling, that's not our issue. <laughs> like, you know, being more mindful of like how we how we consume, you know, they'll solve it on the big scale, which they don't. They don't solve those problems. Those mm-hmm. problems continue. But we love to extern and so that goes back to what I was trying to say is we love to externalize problems you know, pretend that there's actually something out there yes. that needs to be solved. Yeah. Really, you know, we we have to really be conscious of the fact that the problems, you know, the conditions in the world are specifically related to the problems we create on the individual <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah. The group level. So, uh, yes. Um, 
spoken like a true Jungian psychologist. Oh my God. Well, yeah, right. It does. But he's got some points. He's got yeah. some points, you know. And yeah. this is different from what the Dalai Lama was saying about like how we're all interconnected. Like whatever. Yeah. Whatever thing we buy. Yeah. At, like, you know, a Target or like or like at a what is a what around here Fred Meyer and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> You know, whatever we buy, you know, is collected to hundreds of other people, you know, because of the way um, shipping and globalization works right now. So we are so interconnected. I mean, if people think about it on just a scientific level, we're like breathing the air that like Aristotle breathes. And we're like, mm-hmm. you know, we we share the same sun and like on a cellular level, when you touch something there's like an interaction on a cellular level and like when subatomic particles are connected and then they leave the connection they still have some sort of harmony with each other and so once you like start thinking about that on a like a psychological level and all these other levels (laughs) yeah yeah it blows your mind (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it does blow your mind. It does. So, you know, I think I think there's a lot here to think about. I feel like really thinking about if you really want to change your um, your surroundings, one way to start is really to get like involved with a transition town or start talking to people about the potential huh. of a transition town. Like while remember this goes back to well, we talked about the dual power model while dual the power, yes. while the state is crumbling, let us cultivate networks and relationships where we can help each other survive. So, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. And I feel like it's a good thing to that's think. That's a good about. idea. Yeah, and like what great. I've been thinking about is um, like what I want to do is I want to put the idea out there that capitalism sucks that it sucks having two people with 40% of like the wealth or whatever. And like, I think just that idea that like, if people could like see that a bunch of people think that, which they do, like all the Bernie supporters now are all woke and really realize how corrupt it all is. And, and there's gotta be a better way and we're better as human beings and we can do it. I think people have just become so defeatist and like, you know, so I'm just going to keep on trying to put that idea out there and get it like as get people to start thinking of it as a norm. That's my goal. And I'm just one person. But I truly believe that this idea of interconnectedness makes each of us super powerful, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm just... Like, I I think of it like um, 17 years ago when I was dying. Um, I don't know if you knew me then, but, Mm-mm. like, I, I almost died that night in the hospital, and then I spent two months. But, like, I refused to die. They told me, I think they told me I was going to die. Like, I almost did. They had to strap me down, all sorts of things. I won't even go into it, but um, the pain. But I didn't. I would not, like, I... I refused to give up. And that's not the only reason I made it, but, like, that's one of it. I just refused to give up because I was a new mom. 
And like that's how I feel now. It's like I'm I'm tilting at windmills. I'm like saying stuff to the desert. It feels like that no one's listening and no one's gonna hear. But I'm just gonna like keep shouting and keep mm-hmm. trying to write and rephrase it in different ways. And eventually, I don't know. Well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to, <laughs> I know. You know, keep writing, keep creating, keep, you know, keep singing. Building communities. Yeah, being artful. You yeah. Know, you know, cre- being co-creators, not just, you know, yeah. just being yeah. passive consumers from the state because yeah. they want to deaden our desire yes. yeah. to create, to make a better world, you know, and that's why we have we have all these things we have pharmaceuticals we have industrialized food we have media that like that's basically another form of junk food like <laughs> yeah. these are all these different ways to kind of for us to deaden our senses right and to not participate in the co-creation of our communities so the less we actually give that creative power over to the state and those quote-unquote job creators, the better off you are. Yeah. I so agree. In fact, um, uh, a year or two ago, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to think about, like, where did the the creators come from? Like, when did they start, when did the um, marketing break off from the real creators? Like, people actually made original stuff to market something that was like an imitation Mm -hmm. and like, where did that all start And It's sort of an interesting thing to ponder and try to figure out. And I don't think I ever figured it out, but like um, somewhere along the way, maybe in Rome, maybe before, I don't know the people like um, did sort of this imitation creation stuff and like copied stuff instead of like being real original free thinkers mm-hmm. on fire with some sort of creative perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, like, I feel like, you know, there's something happened and I don't really know. I'm just speculating, you know, something that happened when work like artwork started getting commissioned. Mm hmm. I the wealthy, you know, yes. and that, I feel like yes. that was a that was a point where things really started to degrade, along with like you know large scale agricultural food systems. Like our society just started to degrade. I mean, this is all me just like guessing, <laughs> you know. But there is a piece here that like there is some some people do trace the dehumanization of hum, of like human beings and the the rupture that we have with the world to the way the agricultural revolution just kind of ruptured how we relate to each other and to the land. But I also feel like what you're talking about was like this kind of sapping of creativity and like this kind of um, the insert of like capital or wealth that happened. I think that happened too when like those wealthy oligarchs at the time started commissioning artwork because of their likenesses and all of that kind of stuff I don't know. there's something really creepy and egotistical around that too but who knows yeah but um yeah I just feel I feel like we could talk about a lot about yeah. that 
future episode too. Like, yeah, yeah. Where did these ruptures start? Yeah. Interesting. No, I was thinking that too. That um, because I've heard that a lot too. That agriculture, when people 